Digital is different. How innovation management is changing and why we still need strategy. Now the chips are down. The robots are coming. Digitalize or die. There's no shortage of scary headlines reminding us of the looming challenge of digital transformation. The message is clear. On the one hand, if we don't climb aboard the digital bandwagon, we'll be left behind in a kind of late stone age, slowly crumbling to dust while the winds of change blow all around us. On the other, we're facing some rather big questions about employment, skills, structures, the whole business model with which we compete. If we don't have a clear digital strategy to deal with these, we're going to be in trouble. And it's not just the commercial world which is having to face up to these questions. The same is just as true in the public sector and in the not-for-profit world. The digital storm has arrived. There aren't any easy solutions either, which explains why so many conferences now have the digital word scrawled across their strap lines. They provide focal points, create tents within which people can huddle and talk together, trying to work out exactly how they're going to manage this challenge. I've spent the past couple of weeks attending a couple. Innovating in the digital world was the banner under which the International Society for Professional Innovation Management Community gathered, while leading digital transformation brought the European Academy of Management together. Close to a thousand people gathering for more than just a welcome post-Covid reunion. Conferences like these are a good indication of the scale of the questions which digital transformation raises. But let's take a pause for thought and look again at those headlines at the start of this piece. They were actually newspaper cuttings from the 1980s, close on 50 years ago. Anxiety about the transformative potential of digital technology was running pretty high back then, and for similar reasons. And yet, their dire predictions of disaster and massive structural upheaval haven't quite emerged. Somehow we've made it through. We haven't had mass unemployment, we haven't been replaced by intelligent machines, and while income distribution remains very unequal, the causes of that are not down to technological change. Which is not to say that nothing has changed. Today's world is radically different along so many dimensions, and not everyone has made it through the digital crisis. Plenty of organisations have failed, unable to come to terms with the new technology, whilst others have emerged from nowhere to dominate the global landscape. It's worth reflecting that none of the FANGS corporation, that's Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix and Google, none of these were even born when those headlines were written. So, we've had change, yes, but it's not necessarily been destructive or competence-destroying change. So, if we're serious about managing the continuing challenge, then it's worth taking a closer look at just what digital innovation involves. Is it really so revolutionary and transformative? Well, the answer's a mixture. In terms of speed of arrival, it's been a very slow-paced change. Digital innovation is not new. 
Despite the hype around the disruptive potential of this technological wave, the reality is that it's been building for at least 70 years, ever since the invention of the transistor back in Bell Labs in 1947. And there's a good argument for seeing it date back 50 years before that, to when John Fleming and Leader Forrest began playing around with valves and enabling simple electronic circuits. And the idea of programmable control was around another hundred years before that. Early on in the Industrial Revolution, we saw mechanical devices increasingly substituting for human skill and intervention. Textile manufacturers were able to translate complex designs into weaving instructions for their looms through the use of punched card systems, an innovation pioneered by Joseph-Marie Jacquard. Not for nothing did the Luddites worry about the impact technology might have on their livelihoods. And we should remember that it was in the 19th, not the 20th century, that the computer first saw the light of day, in the form of the difference and analytical engines developed by Charles Babbage and Ada Lovelace. In fact, although there's been rapid acceleration in the application of digital technology over the past 30 years, in many ways it has more in common with a number of other revolutions like steam power or electricity. And there the pattern is what Andrew Hargaden calls long fuse big bang. That's to say, the process towards radical impact is slow. But when it converges, there can be significant waves of change flowing from it. So let's think about riding the long waves of change. Considerable interest was shown back in the 1980s, when the pace of the IT revolution appeared to be accelerating, in the ideas of a Russian economist, Nikolai Kondratiev. He'd observed patterns in economic activity cycles which seemed to have a long period, he called them long waves, and which were linked to major technological shifts. The pattern suggested that major enabling technologies, like steam power or electricity, which had widespread application potential, could trigger significant movements in economic growth. The model was applied to the idea of information technology, and in particular Chris Freeman and Carlotta Perez began developing the idea as a lens through which to explore major innovation-led changes. They argued that the role of technology as a driver had to be matched by a complementary change in social structures and expectations, a configuration which they called the techno-economic paradigm. Now, importantly, the upswing of such a change would be characterised by attempts to use the new technologies in ways which mainly substituted for things which already happened, improving them and enhancing productivity on the way. But at a key point, the wave would break, and completely new ways of thinking about and using the technologies would emerge, accelerating growth. A parallel can be drawn to research on the emergence of electricity as a power source. For a sustained period, it was deployed as a replacement for the large central steam engines in factories. Only when smaller electric motors were distributed around the factory did productivity growth rise dramatically. Essentially, the move involved a change in perspective, a shift in paradigm. Now, while the long-wave model has its critics, it offers a helpful lens through which to see the rise of digital innovation. 
In particular, those earlier claims for revolutionary status seem unfounded, reflecting the substitution mode of an early techno-economic paradigm. Disappointment with the less-than-dramatic results of investing in, an, in the new wave would slow its progress, something which we could see very well in the collapse of the internet bubble around the year 2000. The revolutionary potential of the underlying technologies was still there, but it took a long while to kick the engine back into life. But this time around, the system-level effects are beginning to emerge, and there's a much clearer argument for seeing digital innovation as transformative across all sectors of the economy. And this idea of learning to use the new technology in new ways underpins much of the discussion of what's sometimes called the productivity paradox. The fact that extensive investment in new technologies doesn't always contribute to expected rises in productivity. Over time, the pattern shifts, but as was the case with electric power, the gap between introduction and understanding how to get the best out of new technology can be long. In that case, it took over 50 years. So strategy matters. Essentially, the ability to ride out the waves of technological change, using them to advantage rather than being tossed and thrown by them, finally ending up in pieces on a beach somewhere, that ability depends on strategy. Digital technology is like any other set of innovations. It offers enormous opportunities, but we need to think hard about how and where we're going to use them, how to manage them. Riding this particular wave is going to stretch our capabilities as innovation managers. Staying on that board will take a lot of skill and not a little improvisation in our technique. It's easy to get caught up in the flurry of dramatic words used to describe digital possibilities. But we shouldn't forget that underneath them, the core innovation process hasn't changed. It's still a matter of searching for opportunities, selecting the most promising, implementing and capturing value from those digital change projects. What we have to manage doesn't change, even though the projects themselves may be significant in their impact and scalable across large domains. There's plenty of evidence for this. Whilst there have been notable examples of old guard players who've had to retire into bankruptcy or simply disappeared, think Kodak, Polaroid or Blockbuster, many others continue to flourish in their new digital clothes. Their products and services enhanced, their processes revived and revitalized through strategic use of digital technologies. Now, if the conferences I've been attending are a good barometer of what's happening, then there's a lot to this. Organisations of all shapes and sizes are now deploying new digitally driven product and service models, and they're streamlining their internal operations to enable efficient and effective global reach. If anything, the COVID-19 pandemic has forced an acceleration in these trends, pushing us further and faster into a digital world. And it's working in the public and third sector too. For example, the field of humanitarian innovation has been transformed by the use of mobile apps, big data and maker technologies like 3D printing. In the public sector, Denmark even has a special ministry within government tasked with delivering digitally based citizen innovation. So perhaps what's really changing 
and challenging isn't the emerging set of innovations, but rather the way we need to approach creating and delivering them. In other words, the way we manage innovation. And here the case for rethinking is strong. Continuing with the old tried and tested routines may not get us too far. Instead, we need innovation model innovation. Take the challenge of search. How do we find opportunities for innovation in a vast sea of knowledge? Learning the new skills of open innovation has been high on the innovation management agenda for organisations ever since Henry Chesborough first coined the term over 20 years ago. We know that in a knowledge-rich world, not all the smart people work for us. And we've developed increasingly sophisticated and effective tools for helping us to operate in this space. Digital technologies make this much faster and easy to do. Internet searches allow us to access rich libraries of knowledge at the click of a mouse. Social media and networks enable us to tap into the rich and varied experience of others and to interact with it, co-creating solutions. Recombinant innovation tools, fueled by machine learning algorithms, scour the vast mines of knowledge which the patent system represents and dig out unlikely and fruitful new combinations, bridging different application worlds. Broadcast search allows us to crowdsource the tricky business of sourcing diverse ideas from multiple different perspectives. And collaboration platforms allow us to work with that crowd, harnessing collective intelligence and drawing in knowledge, ideas, insights from employees, customers, suppliers, even competitors. But digital innovation management doesn't stop there. It can also help with the challenge of selection as well. We can use that same crowd to help focus on interesting and promising ideas using idea markets. Think Kickstarter and a thousand other crowdfunding platforms and look at the increasing use of such approaches within organisations trying to sharpen up their portfolio management. Simulation and exploration technologies enable us to delay the freeze to continue exploring and evaluating options for longer, assembling useful information on which to base our final decision about whether or not to proceed. And digital techniques blur the lines around implementation, bringing ideas to life. Instead of having to make a once-for-all commitment and then standing back hoping, we open up a range of choice. We can still kill off the project which isn't working and one which has no chance, but we can also adapt in real time, pivoting around an emerging solution to sharpen it, refine it, help it evolve. Digital twins enable us to probe and learn stress-testing ideas to make sure they'll work. And the whole agile innovation philosophy stresses early testing of simple prototypes, minimum viable products, followed by pivoting. So innovation becomes less dependent on a throw of the dice and a lot of hope. Instead, it's a guided series of experiments, hunting for optimum solutions. Capturing value is all about scale, and the power of digital technologies is that they enable us to turbocharge this phase. The physical limits on expansion and access are removed from many digital products and services, and even physical supply chains and logistics networks can be enhanced with these approaches.
Networks allow us not only to spread the word via multiple channels, but also enable us to tap into the social processes of influence, which shape diffusion. Innovation adoption is still heavily influenced by key opinion leaders, but now those influences can be mobilized much more rapidly and extensively. The story of Tupperware is a reminder of this social effect. Back then it took a passionate woman, Brownie Wise, building a social system all by herself in the 1950s. It took all of that to turn a great product into one of the most recognized in the world. But today's social marketing technologies can draw on powerful digital tools and infrastructures right from the start. And in the same way, assembling complementary assets is essential. The big question is one of who else or what else do we need to move to scale? In the past, this was a process of finding and forming a series of relationships, carefully nurturing them to create an ecosystem. Today's platform architectures and business models enable such networks to be quickly assembled and operated in digital space. Amazon didn't invent remote retailing. That model emerged a century ago with the likes of Sears and Roebuck painstakingly building their system. But Amazon's ability to quickly build and scale and then to diversify across to new areas, deploying the same core elements, depends on a carefully thought out digital architecture. So yes, digital is different in terms of the radically improved toolkit with which we can work in managing innovation. And central to this is a strategy being clear where and why we might use these tools and what kind of organization we want to create. And being prepared to let go of our old models. Even though they're tried and tested, even though they brought us a long way, the reality is we need innovation model innovation. That's at the heart of the concept of dynamic capability, the ability to configure and reconfigure our processes to create value from ideas. This idea of innovation management routines is a bit of a double-edged sword. On the one hand, they enable us to systematize and codify patterns of behavior which help us innovate, how we search, select, implement, and so on. And that helps us repeat the innovation trick. It means we can build structures, processes, and policies to strengthen our innovation capability. But we need to review and hone those routines and we also need the capacity to step back and challenge them, and the courage to change or even abandon them if they're no longer appropriate. That's the real key to successful digital transformation. Mm-hmm.